This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Him and I have had quite a few conversations, which I'm blessed again to be able to um, you know, talk to a Hall of Famer and be able to come to school or school, come to be able to come to, yeah, basically baseball school, more or less. I mean, you're coming um, and picking his brain and talking to him about the game of baseball and, um, you know, being able to kind of form a team and, and a bond uh, amongst uh, the teammates and, and uh, you know, how we can. Um, you know, make it through this 162. Um, so yeah, him and I've had a lot of conversations, you know, I came from a team that was, had a bond like I've never seen before. Um, you know, uh, all, you know, from pitchers to catchers to infielders, you know, relievers, it, it was just such a great bond. And, and uh, you know, him, his and I's conversations have included that and how um, you can, we can kind of form that here. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, that is the voice of Adam Eaton. He's talking about his new manager, Tony LaRussa. Tony, of course, the once and current and future manager of the Chicago White Sox. And we are delighted to welcome him to the program. The score hotline is presented by Alpamani Ford and Melrose Park on North Avenue or APFord.com. Tony, good morning. How are you? Morning, Tony. Well, I'm doing well. We're tied for first place, so we're all happy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I think that we look at this team and we saw kind of this breakthrough last year, if you will, and we were talking about the way you line them up, the pitching staff, the, you know, there's always issues, there's always concerns with every team, but I have to imagine, Tony, that you would not have wanted to come back without a team you felt had the chance to win, and and you felt your impact wouldn't help. Uh, that's an interesting uh, way to put it. Uh, you know, I was upstairs. I was lucky to be close to the game as an advisor, consultant type. But, you know, it's really tough when you're not downstairs. So uh, I didn't really think I'd come back. But just uh, the opportunity to come back where we started with the White Sox and – Really, the uh, I don't know who's ever had an opportunity to come into a ball club that's just ready to compete, contend, and play in October. So, uh, you know, finally, I think I'm very fortunate. I uh, didn't really anticipate it, you know, three or four months ago, but it's here. What was it about this specific challenge, though, Tony? Because it's not an easy job, and there are, you know, you've already seen things kind of magnified, and it's something you didn't have to deal with the headaches when you're not a manager. And here you are, your baseball legacy is intact. You're in the Hall of Fame. You've got three World Series rings. What was it about the White Sox challenge that made you want to get back in the dugout and fill out a lineup card every day? Right. Two ways that I look at it is one, um, and and I'll qualify this. Uh, you know, I had a couple, three years with the MLB, but the other years with the organizations like the Diamondbacks and Red Sox and one year with the Angels. When you're upstairs, uh, you understand how really hard front office work is. Uh, you know, they have no off season. They work 12, 12 months a year. But the hardest part is when a game starts, you're up there and you're absolutely helpless. You know, and you feel the same things as the guy do downstairs. You want to win. I mean, every one of those front offs I was with, I mean, they're living and dying with every pitch, but you're really helpless. And, and when you experience the opportunity to be downstairs, man, it, it was, I mean, I, 
I know when the game was over as a manager, there were times that my stomach's flying all over the place. But it was worse upstairs because you're so helpless. At least downstairs, you know, you felt good about what you did or you were upset with what you didn't. Uh, so that was all part of, you know, I would have hung in there upstairs just to be lucky to be around baseball. But the, the White Sox, you know, I pulled for them ever since I left. And, uh, you know, years ago, and to see them struggle, and then all of a sudden you see the, the roster construction from afar. And I can remember uh, as a Diamondback watching some of the young guys before I went to the uh, Red Sox. You started to see the talent. And uh, I remember last spring I saw a couple of games before we stopped it. And you think, wow, man, these guys, they're, they're good. And they went out and proved it during the, during the 2020 season. And now we've got the next challenge. Tony, we know how competitive you are. I'm just curious, when you look at the challenge in front of you, do you want to be better than Rick Renteria last year? Do you want to be better than A.J. Hinch, who uh, wound up in Detroit? Do you want to be better than that Hall of Fame guy, Tony La Russa? What What is it that you're aspiring uh, to compete with? Well, you know, I'm not being disrespectful by disagreeing, but believe me, it, it, it never is about manager against manager. You know, I don't, I, it really... You don't compete against the other manager because I guess guarantee you, the other twenty nine guys are going to go the same go through the same thing I am. You know they know the game, they know the strategies, they know leadership. It's just about team against team, and you know when I look at this is uh, and actually we've got the saying here. I've got a nice thing in my locker that was sent to me as a gift, and I I don't, I don't put it up because it's all about what's next. You know I'm not I'm not. Definitely not uh, forgetting, you know, some of the fun we had in my first time around. But it's really important, not just for me, but for this team, that we understand it's all about 2021, what we do next. And the only thing the past can do is help us learn from it, but we can't, we can't rely on it or dwell on it. You know, Tony, we know all about your relationship with Jerry Reinsdorf from that first time around and the fact that you guys have remained close friends and and probably the biggest reason that you are the manager of the White Sox right now. We know about that relationship, but how did that, if it did at all, complicate or make your relationship with Rick Hahn any different, or how does it define that? Is it is it awkward at all? Was it awkward at all because Rick Hahn was perceived to be the guy who basically hired the manager the owner wanted him to to hire and and how do you go from that point to developing a working relationship with your GM? Well, first with Jerry, the reason that we have stayed close, I think there are two: love of the game of baseball. Jerry loves baseball like he loves basketball, but he loves baseball more, and he'd be the first guy. All those, you know, he doesn't disparage the six trophies with the Bulls, but he always said, you know, he wanted one with it. Now he wants another one. Uh, I know that Jerry uh, had the initiative to bring my name up in front of Kenny and and Rick uh, and Jeremy. And I will tell you that, uh, and I don't know what those discussions were like, but I will tell you that when um, I was being considered, had not Rick and Kenny uh, been behind it, I wouldn't be here because, you know, I, I don't work closely with Jerry. He's the owner. I mean, I'm all the time, coaches and I all the time are communicating with our front office, you know, and that's the, you know, our leadership is Kenny and Rick and Jeremy. And so 
the answer is from the beginning they knew that unless they wanted me to be part of this club that I wouldn't be here and now that I have been I knew coming in you don't put a roster like this together without having a ton of respect for the guys that did it I mean and I could see it from afar seeing it in person how real this talent is the kind of quality of characters we have personality wise and hard work wise I mean that's that's to the credit of uh, the guys who put this roster together. So I'm, I'm more thankful, and uh, I respect them, and I will never do anything to dis- disrespect them. Tony, we know that um, that Ethan Katz is the pitching coach, and he's kind of a, a modern pitching coach and analytics guy. We know you've hired Shelly Duncan, uh, the son of your dear friend Dave Duncan, and a, and a good coach in his own right as your analytics coordinator. And, and I'm sure you've watched him grow up. You know him uh, very well. Um, and I've heard you mention observational analytics. Can you tell us what what is the difference between the analytics you'll receive, the observational analytics, and how you'll rely on those things? Well, that's probably, I think for the last, what, well, this is 20, probably the last 10, 15 years, the most pressing question is for the people in uniform, what is the balance? You know, how do you work in all this very important information that, that's now available? Uh, I'll start with Ethan. One of the things, uh, when, when we did our due diligence before the interview, people that I had talked to, the same thing with, with Rick and Jeremy and Kenny, uh, it, it, it was more than just him being modern in all the abilities to use the information and in, in the, uh, the 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 material. I mean, the, the the machines that are available. Right when we interviewed him, he has. Uh, I can't think of one negative as far as his hands-on approach. Uh, he's he's a coach. You know, he's not he's not he's using the information, but he's applying his knowledge as a coach uh, and the way his personality is. He reaches and re- players respect him. Same thing with Shelly. I, you know, I saw Shelly grow up. He was a manager in the Diamondbacks organization while I was there. Loves the game. But these both of these guys understand how you translate all that information into making pitchers better and players better. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that, you know, you take all that, you know, a lot of, those, uh, a lot of the information are percentages. And, you know, so that, that creates an expectation of what the competition is going to be like. But once the game starts, and it could be the first game, second or third of the series, the observational analytics is that you have to watch what your guy is doing that day, what their guys are doing, and you have to be able to adjust to the dynamics of the competition. So you know, you can't let the, the percentages and scripts determine the decision that you make. It can help it and prepare you, but it, you know you can't let it control you. Tony, from the analytics to the emotions, when Tim Anderson publicly states the White Sox have more talent than the Twins, or maybe the first time he he flips his bat in the fourth inning of after a home run, how much of you will cringe, and how much of you will welcome that bravado because of the confidence it reflects, and the fact that you know the game has changed and players maybe are more expressive than they were the last time you were in a dugout. Well, they're more expressive, and MLB has encouraged them to be. And I'm a member of Major League Baseball. Uh, 
for years. So I, I will start by telling you that I'm working as hard as I can to be part of the White Sox family. Tim and the guys that are here are the family. So uh, assuming that, I, that, that my work uh, is good and, uh, and I get to be a part of them, uh, I will not in any way uh, not protect and, uh, and promote and try to make members of the family better. So there's an old saying, you don't coach aggressiveness out of players. And somebody has talked about it several times. You know, when you deal with Ricky Henderson and Dave Henderson, Dave Parker, you know, Eck, you know, over the years, and, you know, Jimmy Edmonds. I mean, these guys, you know, they got a flair, and, 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 and the fans enjoy it. But the, pro- the point is, and this is what Tim has, Tim has a burning desire to compete and be part of a winner. And that's what those guys did. So uh, we're not going to have a problem. Uh, and I know as long as we compete as hard as we can, and in the end, what you say is, like if we play the Twins, if it's a game that they beat us, tip our cap. You beat us today, we'll come back tomorrow and try to get you. You guys go out and sign Liam Hendricks. Uh, obviously, Aaron Bummer is there. We know the names. We know the bullpen. It's a, it's a very strong bullpen. And then you're adding a couple of guys in, in crochet and maybe Kopech. How, how good can the bullpen be? Tony, you kind of created the bullpen. What do you see when you look at this group? And, and do you see the, the, the guys I mentioned, Crochet and, and Kopech, as starting pitchers eventually or as bullpen guys this, this year, half the year? How do you envision it? Well, you know, I mean, I just uh, read a, uh, a new book that's coming out called The Yankee Way, and it talks about uh, Joe Page. So back in the 50s, there were relievers. And at that time, it was true for a long time. The guys in the bullpen were the guys that weren't good enough to start. But it started to become more and more that the reliever or relievers were pitching and getting a lot of key outs late in the game. So I didn't create anything. Whatever uh, innovations we used, it was because of Dave Duncan. I've said it over and over again because he's just amazing the career and what he did for our clubs. So when you look at us now, um, the more quality relievers we have, the healthier the situation is for a couple of reasons. There are times that you don't want to <clears throat> burn out Liam because, say, you have a chance to win four or five in a row and you pitch him four or five times in a one-run game. Well, that's going to have a tremendous cost, whether it's health or effectiveness down the road. So the deeper the pin, and that's one of the potential uh, advantages that we're going to have. You talk about Bummer. You talk about Crochet. You talk about Foster, Hoyer, uh, Marshall. I mean, the depth of the bullpen is exciting, and it's one of the reasons that we feel that we can go 162 games and be a very tough club to play against. They, you know, so Crochet, Kopech, uh, our, the organization's attitude is that what's best now? And there's no doubt that Kopech and probably, possibly Crochet as a starter later, but for this year, for them and for us, uh, it's important to, for that they start the year in the bullpen, and it makes it deeper and deeper. Tony, I really respected and appreciated the fact that you acknowledged being nervous before your first full team address, the way you felt every time before you addressed your team at spring training. And I just wondered when you, when you, tr- when you look ahead, and you don't want to look too far ahead, but April 8th, you'll be back at 35th and Shields in a White Sox uniform, managing the White Sox again for the first time 
in a very long time. Have you considered how you're going to manage that anxiety and those emotions that will be running through you? I, you know, I go back to you know my great friend Jim Leland with the White Sox. We were together in '82 until through '85, and we would ask each other daily, "Whoever beat him to the punch, are you are you nervous?" And we would both both answer whoever asked it, yes, because if you're not nervous, then you don't care about what the competition is going to uh, turn out to be. So uh, I was nervous. I'm nervous today because you know we got. An important day, two days before we have the first game. I'm, I'm less, I'm less nervous talking to you guys, but I'm a little nervous. So, um, <laughs> you know, nervous, nervous is nervous is good. And and you know what I try to say here is, you know, I'm, we're not going to talk about, you know, my experience. It's all about the team. But when you can look back at something that's helped you, whether it's our guys winning last year or it's me, uh, I like the nervousness and learned how to channel it into focus and, and adrenaline and concentrating for from first pitch to last pitch. So uh, I know I'm going to be nervous. You know, my stomach's going to be a mess. My head's going to hurt, but it's I look forward to it. <laughs> well, I think we're both nervous too, Tony, if that helps. Um, you, don't I, sound, you don't sound like you're nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a wreck. I, I told you years ago, we had you on, and I told you I was a Sox fan, and you said you were too. So I, I believe everything you've, you've been telling us uh, about the feelings you had for the team and the way you were following them. I look at this team, and, you know, the, the DH role is a fascinating one to me because I, I like, you know, what you had to say about Andrew Vaughn, about he's hitting to the power alleys, and that uh, tells you a little something. You know, you keep looking at Aloy as a fan, and you think, boy, wouldn't he be – uh, maybe good as a DH. How how are they going to handle that long term? Um, do you feel you have enough options? I know you mentioned a couple guys uh, in in, uh, in in Gavin Sheets and in Jake Berger that we haven't really been able to watch much because they didn't take part. There were no minor leagues a year ago, and, and Berger's been hurt. Um, how is that unfolding in front of you? Is it about the way you thought it would be? And 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 what are your thoughts about this lineup? The, the various players in it well you, you know, remember the first half of my career in the american league with the dh then to the yep. national league there's no dh yep. and one of the advantages of the dh is that you can use it you know i think it's a certain i mean it's okay if that's what it turns out to be if you've got the one dh like we had bull you, you know greg luzinski mm-hmm. and you know at that time you know bull wasn't going to play in the outfield his knees were not not ready and wasn't going to play first base and that you know there's some it's good to have an outstanding DH. I'm not saying that, but if you have a chance to use that position to get a position player off his feet defensively, so I know at time, and I don't think he's a big fan of it. Can't wait to see Jose Abreu here. But I think Jose, you know, there are times where just not having a defensive responsibility is a plus. Same thing with Yasmani Grandal. Uh, so the DH spot. We'll, we'll look at every day and say, hey, what's the best lineup? And we look at the – you factor in who should play and, and is it time to give Yaz uh, some innings off defensively. Same thing with Jose. That's why a young man like uh, like Andrew's got a chance. Eloy, uh, you know, if his hammy is sore, he would be a candidate. But you, early in his career, and I've been watching – I've talked a lot to Debo, uh, Daryl Boston. Eloy's working hard as an outfielder. Yeah, I watched him the last two days taking balls off the bat, and he's getting good jumps. So 
man, he's a young man. We don't, you know, we don't, you know, it's nice when you can play a position like the guys we're talking about, and then once in a while give him a day off of defense. But, you know, we don't want to make Eloy a defensive. I mean, uh, just a DH. I think it would be detrimental to what he can do career-wise for himself and for our team. Tony, really enjoyed hearing you on a daily basis talk about the talent that you're seeing for the first time. Curious, before we let you go, you've won three World Series, and this may be an unfair question, but when you look at the collection of talent that the White Sox have right now, you, you know the 89 A's were a great team. 2006 and 2011 with the Cardinals, great team. But does this collection of talent meet the standard for being World Series caliber? Uh, I'm, I'm struggling how to answer that one. Um, for one thing, the 2004-2005 Cardinals, you look at the talent on that team, and if the manager had been better, we might have snuck another one in there. Same thing with 88 and 90 with the A's. So uh, I, our talent here is, is comparable. When you look at the, the depth in the bullpen, the rotation you know, uh, potential, you know, not just that we can score some runs, but how we're going to play defense, it's comparable to, to you know, the, those push-button teams I've had in the past. To me, there's two big issues. One is uh, not of our control, but it's us to be able to be aware. We need to understand how good the teams are in the American League that we have to beat in some of the National League in the Central. you got to understand, it's, not, it's about us and our chance, but you compete against another team, like Minnesota. I have all the respect in the world for how good they are, Cleveland, what they've done. I've seen some of the minor leaguers in the last couple of years through Kansas City and Detroit, so I know they're coming. And then you talk about the American, the American League East and the West. So that's number one. Our guys need to understand we're not the only ones that have talent. So number two, you know, what, what do we do with this talent? And you just got to get ready to compete. And that's a, it's a very simple game. Us against them, score, win, or loser. Uh, and from what I've seen here for a bunch of days, our guys are really working at polishing all that talent into skills that you compete with, and then you play the game. So – I mean, the potential is real. There's no doubt about it. You can see that to nobody. But the challenges are real, and we have to to be hard at it the rest of the spring. And this is not coach talk. This is real talk. Every day so that opening day we're as ready as we can be, and then you get better for 162 games and get into October. Tony, thanks a ton. Really appreciate your time. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Tony. Best of luck. Yeah, that's uh, Tony Larusa, the, the White Sox manager, and uh, uh, you know I'm now very fired up for the season. To be honest with you, oh, you're fired up, aren't you? You yeah, are. I've been fired. World up. World Series caliber talent. Heck yeah.